Welcome back to another episode of the Ramen Rundown, Season 3, Episode 7. And today, right off the bat, I'm just going to tell you that today's going to be more of a serious episode, just with everything that's going on with the Black Lives Matter movement and, you know, the death of George Floyd, all the riots from Minneapolis to D.C. A lot of, you know, a lot of places in America have been shaken to the core like it hasn't seen in a couple of years. And I just wanted to, you know, I'm going to give my a lot of my opinions in this episode. And I just want to say that, you know, this is how I look at the situation. It might not be how you look at the situation. It might not be the right way to look at the situation. But I've, I spent a lot of time thinking and I wanted to get a couple of my thoughts out there. And so, you know, don't be offended if it doesn't completely align with, you know, what you believe should be done or how it should be looked at. It's just, you know, what I came up with. And, you know, this thing doesn't just start from, you know, the the death of George Floyd and people in the last couple months. It dates all the way back to, you know, even before the Rodney King riots in LA in the 90s, you know, all the way back to Emmett Till in 1955, you know. Emmett, if you guys don't know, Emmett Till was an African-American boy who was falsely accused of calling a white woman. A couple of white men, you know, severely beat him up and beat him to death. And in order to, you know, really showcase the injustice done there, Emmett Till's mom decided to have an open casket funeral, really displaying the brutality that the white men had shown him, you know, just a kid, you know, just a teenager, and accused for something he probably didn't do just because of the color of his skin. And that funeral was so impactful because everybody who went to pay their respects saw the damage that they had committed. Most people with the open casket dress up the bodies and everything, but the family of Emmett Till knew that they had the chance to really highlight the issue. And, and, and you know, since then, nothing nothing much has changed we feel like over the past what 60 70 years since then we've made a lot of progress but it's it's crazy to see that stuff like this happens you know constantly um it's it's a very i agree with everybody it's it's a very systemic issue it's not something that's going to be fixed overnight it's not going to be something that's going to be fixed with small changes you know and anybody who who believes who truly believes that um, I, I think that's just wishful thinking you know so so much needs to happen in order for this discrimination this inherent racism to be completely eradicated but that doesn't mean we as individuals should stop trying to make you know the people around us better and more aware of the issue and taking steps towards fixing it you know um the, the biggest the biggest thing I've, I've seen is that a lot of African Americans feel like you know they're alone on this issue um, a lot of them are speaking out and they feel like you know it's them versus the world and the, the thing that we need to understand as other minorities as white people as colored people as Americans as Australians, uh, it's British, wherever you know, wherever you live, you know, this thing impacts us. All. And this thing impacts us all. We're all brothers and sisters. And to see a brother and a sister 
get hurt like that for no for no viable reason you know it's it's a tragedy and, you know it hurts all of us and so we need to make sure that we're there for the african-american population you know they're not alone you know we'll be we'll never be able to understand the pain and the suffering they've gone through over the past 60 years but you know if there's anything we can do we can at least stand behind them you know give them a shoulder to lean on give them our hand to give them strength extend love and not hate you know to help take them to the promised land because this change is not going to come about from only one you know from only one race making changes there's only so much that african americans can do you know but with everybody together it's a lot harder you know it's a lot harder to break what three four sticks of bamboo than just pick one stick you know to use a metaphor but the one thing i wanted to you know get out of the way before i start talking more in depth of the issue is that i think i think each of us need to recognize that it's very it's very inaccurate and misleading to say that different people have you know different attitudes towards um this whole situation with the black lives matter movement or you know inherent racism towards the same thing because the thing that we think is the same for everybody the movement the racism is is definitely not you know we could try to empathize with you know african americans and what the, and their plight but when it comes down to it, we'll never fully be able to understand the pain, you know, of, you know, being scared for your kid to even go outside so that he might get hurt because of the color of his skin, because the clothes he wears, the way he walks, the way he or she walks, you know, the things that they carry, the car that they drive. It's crazy to fully understand. It's almost impossible to fully understand how African-American parents are, you know, stressing about protecting their kids in a world that, you know, should be safe. Um, and it's it's even hard to jump in the mind of an African-American child. Imagine seeing this stuff on TV. And, you know, I saw a speech of Steven Jackson, former NBA player, former NBA player, uh, dear friend of George Floyd. They grew up together. And his kid asked him, uh, you know, you know, daddy, you know, why didn't the cop take take his knee off? You know, why did he keep going? How do you answer that as an American, as an African-American parent? How do you tell your kid that, you know, because of the color of your skin, people, people are going to treat you, you know, differently. They're not going to show you mercy. They're not going to show restraint. And good reason or not, they're going to, you know, they're, they're going to give it all to you. It's, it's something crazy. To, you know, it's, it's hard to think about. So I feel like it's important that we recognize that it's not we're not all talking about the same issue because the issue itself means so is so different for everybody involved. I know for me, it, I honestly on my daily in my daily life, I'm glad that I don't experience like much of much of it. And so even though I can try to give my opinion on the issue and empathize with people, I know that I'm. I'm only covering the tip of the iceberg because there's so much that I can't even understand or, you know, start to start to know the pain and the suffering that, you know, other people have to go through. But I think one thing that I can talk about is the idea of accountability, especially with, you know, police officers and um, 
the police officers are, are supposed to, you know, protect us. Um, how, so just taking this back to like, the foundations of society, a societal contract is that we give up some of our liberties and we decide to live together. And because of that, we're offered certain protections and the police is a form of protection. So we give up certain liberties. We can't steal. We can't murder. We can't. We can't kill, stuff like that. So that in turn, we're protected by a government or a, a society that we've built together. And I think the only way to have a fully functional and efficient society is that we need to hold people accountable. We're giving up certain rights so certain people can serve us and protect us and make us feel safe. And if they're not doing a good job of that. You know, why aren't they being punished? And I understand, I get it completely. Um, Policemen have a really hard job um, risking your life every day in the face of danger, you know? Bravery isn't the absence of fear. Bravery is the, is taking action in the face of fear. You know, you're scared and you don't care. You know, you're working for something greater. And that's what most policemen, you know, are doing throughout America. But at the same time, there comes a point where um, your decision making, because you have so much responsibility to protect the public, you know, they're they're all believing and trusting in you. You know, you have to be held accountable if you continuously make very bad decisions or if you make one, you know, extremely horrible decision such as the officer that murdered George Floyd. Um, just like any other field, um, Tony Romo in his football retirement speech talked about how football is a meritocracy. You know, And I didn't really think about it like that, but a lot of fields are meritocracy. It's a, what have you done for me now lately, industry, football, you know. If you don't perform, what, one or two games, you're going to get replaced very quickly. In the medical field, if you're not doing the procedures, you know, per, close to perfection, people are going to come after you, people are going to sue you, the clinic you're going to work for is going to fire you, you know, you're going to go to court, you're going to lose money, you, if you're a lawyer who can't protect his clients, you know, when they're innocent, you know, people are going to stop going to you, and eventually you'll be out of business, so why can't that be the same with police officers, and I get, I, I'm going to repeat this, I get it, it's a tough job, but you they need to be held accountable like the rest of the like the rest of the fields in our you know society and, it's, and to a greater extent because police officers have to make decisions life and death death decisions their decisions can literally alter the state of someone's life forever and with that you get some leeway you know especially making very quick second thinking and you know there's fear there's nothing about protecting civilians um you know upholding order keeping the order doing what's best for you your family that you come home to after you work but at the same time if you repeatedly make bad decisions or you repeatedly make decisions that are driven by inherent racism rather than logic and you're training the things you trained for, then you need to be held accountable. And that doesn't just mean fired from the force. That means, you know, taken to court. 
take in court like every other job if you don't do a good job you know in very high leverage positions you're going to be taken to court and that needs to be the same way with police officers and i'm glad that the officers have been arrested and and yet i still think the punishment doesn't fit the crime right now the officer that killed george floyd is on a third degree murder sentence so third degree murder is basically when someone involuntarily commits a murder has no intent of hurting the other person at all and um involuntarily man's or his involuntary manslaughter i think his sentence should be bumped up to a second or even a first degree more murder probably second is more fair but in second degree murder you have intent to harm but you don't have intent to kill and with the officer putting his knee on George Floyd's neck there is intent to harm there there nowhere in the training no police station are officers being taught to basically asphyxiate somebody on on the account on account of drug charge you know you let them you get them on the ground i understand that get their hands behind their back and you know you restrain them that way what where why is the neck involved it's such a fragile part of the body and the fact that even in the face of george floyd yelling you know i can't breathe get off my neck the man keeps doing it because he's necessary he thinks it's necessary George Floyd is already given he's already submitted to the police officer's will. You know, he's not going to hurt you now. He's already on the floor, hands behind his back. He's just he's just trying to he, he's just trying to survive. And the fact that that police officer decided to play judge jury executioner and stay on his neck is, you know, it's I don't I don't know how you punish that. I don't know how you could think that evilly. And and the fact that he he showed no remorse in the face of witnesses, cameras. How could you be so cold? You know, you have people watching you, people videotaping you. You know, is this the example that you want to set for your kids? For, is this the face you want to represent the police, you know, police policemen everywhere, hardworking policemen who bust their ass and who actually don't act with inherent racism? You're going to mess everything up because you have an inherent bias against a certain group of people. You know that needs to be punished. You know, they're important. Their culture is just as important to America. Their positions in our society are just as important as any other minority or just population. And the and I it's just it's just crazy to think about the fact that he didn't care. He didn't care that the example he was setting. He didn't care that people were watching. He only cared about he only cared about what he believed and he believed that he's above the law and that he's above a certain group of people and you know that's not right. That that's, that's by no means right. And so, you know, we ask ourselves, you know, what are we going to do this time? that's different from the times before you know i brought up Emmett Till Trayvon Martin um so many examples of african american men and women being 
wrongfully assaulted by law enforcement officers or berated by the public in general. I just read an article about in about a man in the in Central Park in New York, African American man who was just bird watching, and a white woman is there with a dog that's that's not on a leash, which is uh, illegal in that park. That park has specific rules saying that all dogs must be leashed. So he goes up to her, and you know, he's a bird watcher. It makes sense. Dogs without leashes ruin bird watching. Chase of birds, the birds go away. So he asks her, "Ma'am, can you put the dog on a leash?" And she threatens to call the police. She says that he's coming for her life. She calls the police right in front of him and is yelling to the police. An African American man here is starting to kill me. Where do you get that from? He just asked you to put your dog on a leash, which is the rule at the park. And it's crazy to think that you can use racism and you can use the fact that the police are trying to are inherently racist as a threat to African American men and women. It's like we need a police for the police. It's crazy. The the threat of the police is supposed to be something that can be used to to uh, to keep rapists, murderers, thieves away from our you know from our homes from the places that uh, we find shelter in from the people that we love but the fact that the police is being used as a threat for an innocent bird watcher just because he's african-american that's crazy that's crazy and so uh, i'm i'm going on a tangent but to get back to the point i was trying to make is that it feels like this we're in a you know endless cycle of um, an event happening with Trayvon Martin and George Floyd, a lot of awareness being risen short in that span shortly after the event, and then eventually things kind of die down again. We kind of receive, we kind of feel some sense of normalcy, even though that's not true. Inherent racism doesn't sleep. It doesn't take a break. It hasn't taken a break for the last 60 years. But in a month or so, people are... I Hopefully this time is different. But if you look back at history, people just go back back to the normal. That's part, that's part of the problem. We can't become numb to... We, we can't become numb to the, this stuff. We can't just jump on the bandwagon when it's convenient. And you don't get off when it's not. We need to have unwavering and relentless support and stand with the African-American community and other minority uh, communities that are being oppressed. Um, It's it's simply not enough to just raise awareness one month of the year and uh, not think about it at all for the the other 11 months. And the fact that time and time again, we try the same thing with the, and, it, and the same results happen and the fact that we don't change anything it's that's literally the definition of crazy you know doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results that's why hopefully this time the support will be relentless will be you know continued far into the rest of 2020 and into 2021 and for the next decade 
this problem, like I said in the very beginning, isn't going to be fixed by small steps. It's a systemic flaw. There are so many people in power that um, embody inherent racism. And in order for us to remove them from power and to put very good, to put good leaders who have the right intent and the right thought process in power, it's going to take some time. And just because it takes time doesn't mean we can take our foot off the gas pedal. We as people, we we under we overestimate what we can do in a year, but we completely underestimate how much we can accomplish in a decade. And, you know, we need to flip the switch. We need to realize that we're in it for the long haul. And hopefully we're going to be the generation that can put an end to this systemic racism, oppression of all minorities. And with that comes, you know, you need to, like I said, keep your foot on the gas pedal and have continuing unwavering support and unity with those being oppressed, with those who feel unsafe. Right? You can't just ex- you can't just expect other people to do it for you, or else you're gonna get the bystander effect where, oh, you know that person should have protected him, or that, oh, I thought that person was gonna protect him. No, you have to do it. You have to be the one to stand up for somebody if you see something wrong. We have to be the ones to hold the police accountable. I know they have a tough job, but if we don't hold them accountable, who will? You know. That it's more convenient for the police police district to, you know, just keep them in their um, positions. You don't have to hire a new person. You just keep it as it is. But, it, but we know that that's not enough. And we have to hold them to a certain standard. A certain level of... Yeah, a certain, we have to establish a set of standards that they almost follow. And uh, I accept that they're... There are leeways and there are exceptions to the case where police officers are, ge- are genuinely threatened. But at the same time, it, it's if this issue keeps popping up again, um, when do those exceptions become too stretched out? It's, it's like opening a Pandora's box. If we allow a certain police officer to get off, to get off free of charge, something that's a little shaky then that can be used as a precedent for other cases, for other instances where their actions are definitely not justified compared to, you know, the first one. And so um, I know I don't really have the solutions. No one does. Uh, I'm not going to I'm not going to BS you. I'm not going to act like I know everything that's happening, you know, politically or even so like with all these social issues. And so I'm not going to propose some complicated solution that I can't even speak on. I can't even, like I said, I can't even imagine what these oppressed minorities are going through, especially African-Americans. But I know something I can speak on is I know what it's like to, you know, be approached in a hateful way for no reason. And one way that one way that I like to approach it when somebody approaches you with hate with hate in their heart for, for no reason at all one thing that they don't expect is for you to treat them with kindness you know I, I, I 100% understand 
the feeling to stand up for yourself, stand up for the people you love, stand up for the culture you're proud to be a part of. But at the same time, sometimes by doing that, you're playing, you're playing into their game. And what I'm about to talk about does not apply to life or death scenarios with police officers that are taking the lives of innocent uh, men and women or even certain groups playing the role of a vigilante and tracking, hunting down specific people of color. But I think what I'm trying to present to you is something that you can think about in your everyday lives when some when somebody just approaches you with hate and it doesn't have to even be about race but just in general when somebody approaches you with you know hate and angriness in their system for for no viable reason you can use this date-breaking question to show that you're in control to show that you have options to show that you're not hurt by what their approach is so if somebody approaches you and say and say say you're like um can you give me me think of an example um say you're an asian person or specifically a japanese person i saw this on the news there is a man who approached a japanese lady and said something along the lines of get out of here or i'm gonna hiroshima your ass or something along the lines of that say somebody approaches you with that something that's extremely hurtful and uncalled for the, you know the, the first instinct is to yell back at them and with that same passion and hate and anger because they've hurt your culture in a way that you know you can't comprehend but i'm going to suggest an alternative state breaking questions and what that means it's it's going to sound stupid but I think it works for me and I haven't been in many of these situations so I don't know if it works for everybody but I think it's something small that we can at least try you know every now you know once in you know here and there but a state breaking question is something that's completely irrelevant to the conversation somebody approaches you like that man approached a Japanese woman insulted your culture deeply um ask that person what you have you have say he's walking a dog he said what's the name of your dog or say he has a kid he say how old are your kids or what school did you go to if you know you're a high school you're a college student high school student another student approaches you with hate in their hearts in their minds what school did you go to um these questions are so out of what's your favorite color are so out of the blue it's gonna snap their thinking it's gonna snap their frame they approach you with hate for no reason this question snaps their frame and opens them up to alternatives alternatives it's weird to think about but asking something as irrelevant as what's your favorite color gets people's minds switched off from hate and hopefully in a more productive hopefully brings them to a more productive uh, mindset hopefully you guys can find something that you have in common you know to show that me and you we're very much the same even though we have genetic differences we have different skin colors we come from different cultures have different heritages have a different heritage but we we're americans we both love our country and asking these state-breaking questions that might seem irrelevant that might seem silly at times
can show that you're really in control of your identity and your culture. Too often, I see that people approach others with hate in their hearts. And like I said, the initial reaction is to act defensive. But by doing that, you're letting that other person dictate the conversation, dictate the tempo and the tone of the conversation. But by asking these state-breaking questions, you show that you're not affected by the slander that they give toward, that they're emanating towards you. You show that you have more options. You're really in control of everything, you know, going forward. And hopefully, you can show them that you're more similar than they thought and maybe get to change their mind of, change their perspective of a certain culture or hopefully get them to respect you more as a person. And it's, I'm, and I know it's not a, a good solution. It's not going to fix anything. It might not fix much at all, but hopefully one day, you know, you can use that trick when somebody just approaches you with hate for no reason to really surprise them. I'm, 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 going to, I'm telling you, it, and it will, I know it will, because not many people do it, have the patience, have the restraint to take such unwarranted, uncalled for blows from a complete stranger to their culture that they're so proud of. Not many people can just brush that aside and just dictate the conversation and steer it in a new direction. But I'm telling you, if you can do that, you're going to show them that you're very much in control of who you are as a person, you know, what you stand for, everything like that. And what I just what I just talked about is mostly applicable for day-to-day conversations with a stranger that approaches you. If, if it's, especially just regarding the movement, a cop putting a knee on somebody's neck, then of course you need to stand up for yourself. You need to stand up for the people you love. That's a life or death situation. But hopefully this solution can be used you know, can be a trick up your sleeve for when just somebody approaches you with malice in their heart. But just to wrap this, my thoughts on this whole thing up, um, I'm, I'm still very much conflicted. I've thought about it so much. And, you know, you want to find solutions, but that's just something that's going to, you know, come with time. And you got to be patient. But we have to also act with a sense of urgency. Everything's a balance. And finding the right balance of urgency but not rushing. Um, making sure that we fix the problem for good. You know, not just put a band-aid on it, but fully heal the wound. We'll never be able to fully heal the wound, but at least close up the scar. No more infections. No more making the situation worse. People will never forget George Floyd. Trayvon Martin, Evan Till, people never gonna forget MLK, Malcolm X, Muhammad Ali, Rosa Parks, Frederick Douglass, Uncle Tom. You see, we're gonna live on forever. The scars are gonna be a symbol of the things that we've done wrong in the past as a nation and hopefully steer us to a brighter future. But at least we need to close the wound. No more pain, no more hurt. Only 
family, hopefully everything goes to memory. Never forget. But, yeah, like I said, to just wrap this up, I wanted to talk about probably my favorite book that I've read, and it's very relevant to this, um, the topic of Black Lives Matter and just the the impression of minorities in general and just the shit people just put themselves through when going through situations like these. A Lesson Before Dying is written by Ernest Gaines, an African-American author, uh, in the, I think the 19th century. That I, I didn't really do research on it. I read this a couple years ago, but it's honestly been one of the most impactful pieces of literature I've ever read. And to give you a quick synopsis uh, or summary of what the book was about, it's about an African-American man who's wrongfully accused of murder. Um, he was just in the wrong place at the wrong time at a grocery store where a white man had been murder- murdered. And when the police came on the scene or the investigators, some of the uh, details of the books are kind of faded, but they uh, took him in and he went to court for a uh, crime he didn't do. And I know that's like the plot of many stories, books, To Kill a Mockingbird comes to mind. But this one was completely different because in trial, the African-American man's lawyer did something that all these other stories with wrongfully accused people have never done. The the lawyer knows that he has no chance. The African-American chance has the African-American man has no chance of walking free with a white jury that's definitely racist and is going to, you know, vote for him, vote for a guilty verdict no matter what. So he tries to pull a crazy alternative and defend his client Grant by by arguing that he isn't a person. He's an animal incapable of thought and try to plead that we can't punish an animal. That's just his natural instinct, his behavior. And it's something very, something that's very crazy to comprehend that somebody can just be reduced like that to just being an animal incapable of thought, of logic, of reason, of love, of emotion. And that's what happens in court. And he still, uh, despite the unorthodox attempt to get him off, to convince the jury that, you know, he was innocent and he shouldn't be punished, Grant's still sent to the executioner's block. And the whole story, that's just the very beginning of the story. And the whole story is basically the time up to um, when Grant is going to get executed for his uh, quote-unquote crimes. But we're, we're following the mental state of a man who's about to be executed. And the words of the lawyer, even though, even though the lawyer didn't mean it, he didn't actually believe that Grant is, a, is an animal incapable of thought. Sitting in that cell waiting for death, Grant loses his mind and starts to you know degrade himself to the point where he th- he accepts the fact that he's an animal he's just he's not even a human anymore for a crime he didn't even commit he's reducing himself to not even being a human and 
the whole the the reason why it's called the lesson before dying is that Grant's mom sees him start to believe to lose all self-worth to start to believe that he's not even a human anymore so she sends a preacher named Mr. Wiggins to hopefully restore some faith and humanity in Grant and uh I guess I'm not sure if many people will read it but this might be a little spoiler as to what happens at the end but basically Grant dies but before he dies he says goodbye Mr. Wiggins tell them I'm strong tell them I'm a man so the lesson before dying is that no no matter what situation no matter what shit situation you're put into or what how people treat you or a mistake you you might have made you know, you're you're still a human and you deserve some self-worth. You still deserve to think that you're a man, you're a strong man, you're a strong woman. No one's an animal. No one's different because of the color of their skin or the amount of money in their pockets. Everybody deserves some form of self-worth and respect and we need to treat each other with respect and self and worth. You know, we need to if you're going through something hard or you're being oppressed, you need to remember your name. Your name is the strongest force and the only thing you ever need. Have a song, a strong belief in oneself. Know your worth. You know, never hang your head. Never let them get to you. Always keep your head up. And the second that you start to lose self-worth is the second that you let the oppressors win. When you, that's the second you submit. And it's an amazing book about just keeping your head up. And in the face of believing that you're not even a person anymore, you're just an animal incapable of thought. Just, It's crazy to see Grant's journey to eventually finding some dignity and this all started from a crime he didn't even commit. It's it's just an amazing story overall. One of my favorite novels of all time. I've learned to treat myself better, treat other people better. And it's, all, it's honestly made me think about what what can I do to make for a fairer, a fairer, a fairer, more equal world. And I feel like we need to all think about if we really believe, if we truly believe in creating a fairer, a more equal world, then what are we gonna let get between us and paradise? You know, what what are we gonna let us or what are we gonna let stand in the way? And so I'm gonna leave you guys on that. Hopefully uh, you guys have learned something from my rambling, from my thoughts. I wanted to reiterate that these are all my opinions. And how I see the situation, I cannot begin to understand what some minorities have gone through, both parents and children going growing up in this very chaotic, um, very unorderly times, unfair times. And I just hope that this time will be one of the last times that we'd have to protest or riot for an issue like this. Um, But I hope that you guys are all doing well in quarantine. I want you guys to stay safe. Really take the time to think about the issue 
and you can form an opinion for yourself uh, understand that sometimes the best you can do is just to stand with somebody you can't understand their pain you can't fully empathize can't get in their shoes at least stand there stand stand with them be there for them when they need you most because when the tables are turned you'd expect them to to do the same for you and we're all brothers and sisters we all are children we all are of you know in america a place that gave us so many opportunities and freedoms and we see a brother get hurt we had to come be there to pick him up you know and so I hope you guys get the time to think about it and really form an opinion for yourself. Stay safe, stay healthy, and hopefully the next time I'm on with you guys will be on a more positive note. But until then, stay frosty.